Hello and welcome to the Leading Through Uncertainty podcast series. I'm your host, Jude Jennison from Leaders by Nature. And in this podcast, I interview leaders from different organisations and industries to find out more about the challenges they face in leading through uncertainty and how they overcome them. This week, I'm back in Coventry with Martin Yardley, who is the Deputy Chief Executive of Coventry City Council, and he's also the Head of Place, which covers anything from bins and potholes to strategic regeneration of the city, of which there has been plenty and there's loads more to come. In the nine years Martin's been in post, Coventry has seen massive change and business growth, and it's virtually unrecognisable from the concrete jungle that it once was and is renowned for. It may be down to him, but he makes it clear that it's a team effort. Hello, Martin. Hello. Um, Lovely to have you on the show today. Um, Would you please, for the benefit of the listeners, explain what it is that you do here in Coventry? Martin Yardley, and I am the Deputy Chief Executive here at Coventry City Council, with my responsibilities being for place. Uh, Place covers essentially all aspects of the physical place, which goes from waste collection, right the way through waste disposal, highways planning, all aspects of roads, uh, regeneration, all aspects of infrastructure, um, uh, operational estate, commercial estate, culture, leisure. So the whole, the whole, yeah. (laughs) That's a lot. (laughs) The whole whole gambit across from day-to-day activity right the way through to years of projects that are around regeneration and things like that. Right, so it's from an operational point of view as well as a strategic point of view. Yes, yeah. ab- absolutely, right. absolutely. And, and it's also from things that are incredibly important to people on a day-to-day basis, so in terms of if we don't lift a bin, right the way to the things that appear to be really, really important on a long-term basis, such as the fact that you're in a brand new office block that we were responsible for building. So mm-hmm. this is a £41 million pound scheme, 120,000 square feet and it's got 2,000 staff in it and we've, we were responsible for moving everybody from our other nine buildings into this one. So it's quite so, a wide. Yeah, so that must have created a fair amount of uncertainty. So let me let me just explain for the benefit of the um, the listeners today, we're in Coventry in the heart of the Midlands in, in England. Tell me what it is that excites you about Coventry, first of all, because I know you're really passionate about Coventry. So, what, 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 what's really interesting, I've worked in both, both the public and the private sector, and um, I, I, I like a challenge, as, as don't we all, but what's been really interesting about Coventry is if you, if you look at the assets Coventry has got, it's all of the assets that you can no longer buy. So it's got some great motorway connections, it's got a great main uh, West Coast mainline station, it's got two fantastic universities, so it's all of the assets that people would die for but mm. can't afford to buy anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and what's particularly interesting about Coventry and why I enjoy the challenge of Coventry is when I started here 10 years ago, it was an, an, a city that completely underperformed. Yeah. And you can't, I, I couldn't understand why a city with all of the assets, including its geographical location within the country, because it's 57 minutes by train to London, was so underperforming. Mm-hmm. So the thing that's really, uh, really floated my boat is in terms of um, how do you get those assets to work so that the city performs the way it should perform? Mm-hmm. And that, that, that's the real challenge. And, and although we've We've done a huge amount in terms of making that happen. And, um, you know, lucky old me, I joined at not at the greatest of times in terms of economic growth, you know, in 2008, 2009. But actually, we've 
you really started to see some of that coming forward. And and we've gone from an organisation, I suppose, that um, were lucky if we won something to now an expectation that we will win everything. And, and that's great fun in terms of a, a confidence of an organisation and um, a, a direction of track. That's brilliant. And um, can you just share some of the things that have happened in the last few months okay, in so, terms of the, the, the regeneration? So, so, so the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham, Commonwealth Games have now been declared and we're on the fringe of that. We've got a few events, but actually that has implications for the whole region and, and we will work with Birmingham closely to do that. Slightly closer to home, we won the City of Culture. So Hull have, have had the City of Culture and I think Hull have done a great job of moving the City of Culture on. That's now coming to Coventry and, and um, we've got that in 2021. So that's going to be an incredible challenge for us in terms of how we maximise the benefits of that. And perhaps later I can explain to you why I think it's so important for Coventry. And then the other one, which is probably one not many people have heard of, is something called the Faraday Challenge. And the Faraday Challenge is all about how we are going to change the way we drive cars from probably um, combustion engine to electric. And, and it's how we industrialise our research. And, and in the UK, what we're brilliant at is cutting-edge research, you know, we didn't know this until I got involved, but we did the lithium battery, that, that was invented mm. in the UK, and then it was commercialised somewhere else. And, and so the National Battery Development Centre, which was all the Faraday Challenge, was a national competition, and we won that competition as well. And so now we are working our way through how we are going to build a quarter of a million square feet of unit, which will have absolute cutting-edge technology in there to enable companies like JLR, or McLaren or JCB to do research on the types of batteries they want to use, but also it will enable Coventry University, Warwick University to also test their systems through it. So it's, so it's, it's really it's, exciting times, yeah, isn't it, with so yeah. many different things with, that, that are coming on board, yeah, yeah. and that must generate a huge amount of uncertainty as well. I'm, I'm guessing that yeah. part of your job is going to be bringing people with you. It, it is a challenge, and and. and and it's a, the uncertainty is a challenge because probably for a number of reasons. First of all, and, and this is why the directorate works really well, how can you get anybody to trust you that you're going to take them through a position of uncertainty if you can't fill the potholes and you can't take the bins away? Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we've had to do is to make sure that the day-to-day -day functioning of the organisation has been absolutely spot on. Right. And an example I'd give you is that um, when I first started, uh, we, it was Christmas time, and um, we got planning consent through for 3 million square feet of office, and it was the biggest planning application that had gone through in the UK during that year. And at the same time, some of my bin crews didn't lift some bins because they were an inch open. Right. One of them got into the national press, and one of them didn't, and I'll let you guess which yeah. one got into the national <laughs> press. And that was a real eye-opener for me, mm. that actually there was me thinking it's all about the big and the large dar type stuff, and actually how much weight is given by people to the day-to-day -day functions. Yeah. So one of the things that's been absolutely crucial for us in terms of getting people to come with us on this journey is to actually make sure the day-to-day -day stuff gets done. Mm. And, and by that, people just get get used to it so because if you cannot get them to think that my bin is going to get picked up on a Wednesday how are they going to believe me when I say trust me on this we're just about to build a billion pounds worth of buildings and this will change this structure mm. so it's it's quite interesting how the, the, the breadth of the director although it's a challenge is really important to the job yeah and it all do. starts to make sense for me now in terms of the day-to-day -day operational stuff is the foundation yeah. for building the trust with the, the 
the public, absolutely the general right. public. Ab- absolutely. And once right. you've got that, then it's easier yes. to start being more strategic because actually the heart of it, nobody really likes change. So uh, so if you're yeah. going to be strategic and create all this regeneration in the in the city, yes. there's going to be an impact of that. Uh, and, and there are certain things that people are not worried by and certain things they are. So if we are knocking buildings down or, or, or getting planning consent, I'm a planner by profession, if we're getting planning consent, it is amazing, except for the odd little thing, how few people comment, particularly on a city centre. So we, we have had planning applications for buildings that are 25 storeys high, and we've had three people complain about it or question mm-hmm. it. If there are potholes in the road, yes. I get dozens and dozens and dozens of complaints. Mm. And, it, and, and the pothole costs a few thousand pounds, and the development is multiple, mm. multiple, multiple millions mm. of pounds. So it's quite... It's quite interesting what focuses people's attention. Yeah, and um, what's uncertain for the general public yes. versus what's uncertain maybe for you leading a- the director. A- absolutely right. And, 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 and really, you know, one of, one of the things that I've been really proud of in terms of what we've done here is is I, I persuaded members to take a position around student accommodation. And so we, we've got two incredibly successful universities. We have 54,000 students in this city and we had no custom-built student accommodation. So what used to happen was these students used to scatter through the through the estate, and so what would happen is they would go into houses of multiple occupation, they would become a nuisance to the neighbours, but there was row after row, and the problem was, was those houses would then be completely lost to the general public mm. because of the rental that people could get from students. So I, was, I, I, I have managed to persuade members to say we want to encourage purpose-built student accommodation in the city centre the, the, and because of that what we've done now is we've got something like 7,200 apartments on site at the moment or just coming through the planning process which is huge and, and they will they will look at buildings which are much taller so it gives an appearance to if you look around the city at the moment there's cranes everywhere mm-hmm. there's cranes everywhere because people are building different things a lot of student accommodation and a lot of it's going up to 20 stories but actually to persuade members that was a good thing was was quite an interesting process. So it was about returning property back to taking students so they go into purpose built. They wouldn't be a nuisance to anybody except for themselves or, mm-hmm. or and their immediate neighbours who are also students. That would mean that the houses that were being used for students would then return to the productive use. So yeah. we we worked out two things that kind of got people across the line. And I think this is where you know that this managing uncertainty is is to get some facts or to get some information that enabled people to travel with you. So with yeah. the student accommodation, what we did was we said, for every thousand students that we put into purpose-built accommodation in the city centre, that's five million pounds they would spend in the city centre. Because mm-hmm. that's how much these people spend. So five million, so every thousand students, five million pounds. You spread that across the whole city and it disappears. Mm-hmm. So, we get, so we persuaded members that that made sense to clump them together. The other thing we said was, for every 600 students we put in student accommodation, that's 100 houses that return back. There's usually six in a house right. because of planning legislation. So for every every 100 houses, that's... So for every 600 students, that's 100 houses. Mm-hmm. 100 houses is 10 acres of land we don't have to take out the green belt right. because we are using houses for the purpose they were intended for, right. not for accommodating students. Yeah. So because I can stick students in a 20-storey building, I can stick 600 students on an acre, mm-hmm. and I can actually then use those houses, which would have taken 10 acres of land, 
So, so it, it, that was enough to persuade members to go on this journey with us. And we are now, as I said, uh, 7,000 students down the line in custom-built buildings. And we are probably into, I don't know, half a billion pounds worth of student accommodation that's been built in the last three years. Wow, so huge, yeah. huge numbers. But, yeah. And I think that's, that was a real... Um, that was something I really learned from in terms of if you want people to come onto a journey for you, which you are not sure what the outcome will be, mm-hmm. you have to try to find something at the beginning to, to convince them to come on their way. And, and what's been great for us now, and I suppose this is the last bit, is we are now finding dates. We are now surveying to find the data to prove what we said at the beginning was right. And, and what we found out this year was there's two and a half thousand bedroom space that would have been normally taken up by students in, in the community that are empty this year. Right. And and we have now got um, landlords coming to us and saying, what other use can we put them to? So, so it's great. Yeah. It's absolutely yeah. great. But so once you, and if you carry on doing that type of thought process, that's perhaps a way you can get people to come with you in a world that is just constantly moving. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if, if you look at the challenge on that, I had to, first of all, we had to get them to do that. Secondly, we had to persuade people to spend their money on our thought process, which was investors and everything else. So we had to give them a degree of certainty. Then we had to make sure that the universities were on board with this. Then we had to make sure that the universities were in a position which they would continue to attract. Mm -hmm. So we've been extremely fortunate that both the universities have gone from strength to strength, which has only strengthened that thought. We didn't know that at the beginning. So so it's been been a real eye-opener in terms of how you take people on some of these journeys. So you get the basics done. Once the basics are sorted, then you pick stuff and then you go off and try and deliver something. Once you've delivered one of those... I'll believe you on the next one. And you make it sound so so easy in a way, in, in terms of you know creating some certainty and providing the the data that you that you've got, and then showing how you're performing against that. Yeah. But you've got a massive number of people from, as you say, from investors to the general public and yes. universities and businesses, and huge amount of people to convince and build trust with. Yes. Um, and. And you've you've touched on one of the common themes that that has come out of most of my interviews is that in times of uncertainty, if you can create small pockets of certainty, it gives you a a, a high level roadmap that allows people to come with you. Yes, which is which is brilliant. And and what's even more brilliant is you're actually proving that to be the case by executing it. Yes. But I wonder, from a day to day point of view, when you walk into the office. My guess is you may have a, an idea of what you think your day is going to look like, but I wonder if it's always how you planned yeah. it or whether it's very different. No, I, I, <laughs> it, it, it is usually very different. If I, and then I, how do you cope with that? Um, the, the, the disadvantage of the directors and the beauty of the directors is the same thing for me. Um, the thing about the director is you always have day-to-day incidents that need to be dealt with on a day-to-day mm-hmm. basis. I, I, I would love to say, oh, yes, I'm strategic and therefore... And I've heard people at, that work at my level say, I don't deal with this, I'm strategic. So when one of my um, waste fleet took a car out, mm-hmm. not of their fault, mm-hmm. there, was a, there was a death involved and everything else, right. that's not something you can say, I am strategic and therefore no. I'm staying away from that. That mm-hmm. is something that needed to be dealt with, made sure the crew were safe, make sure the crew were dealt with properly, make sure the health and safety executive were advised, just to make sure that type of stuff gets done. Mm. So that goes on and, and, and they don't happen every day, thank God, but <laughs> yes. there, there is a number of issues. Mm-hmm. Now, if that happens, there's your day. 
Yes. What, whatever you had planned for that day in the main measure, I am I am um, not lucky actually. I am fortunate, or um, I uh, I have a very good first line. So what I mean by that, the managers underneath me are very, very good at what they do. The right. reason why I'm not saying it's fortunate is because I see as my job nine years ago to pick a very good first line. Mm. And mm. Um, the people who work for me now are not the people who worked for me when I started. Right. And so I see a really important part of what I do at my level is, is appointing those people underneath mm. me, which means that I can flex between the immediate and the strategic because I know that... As long as as long as the immediate process is being sorted, I can then leave that to somebody yeah. else and I can move on. If it becomes more and more serious, then I, I can then time my involvement. Mm-hmm. But it's it's that that's where you're you can lose lots of the day. And, yeah. and the other thing is on just a minor point, it's the services members care about. You know, they, mm-hmm. if you asked a if you asked an elected member what gets them elected, they would say sweeping the streets, picking up the bins. Doing the potholes, yeah, they they would not say uh, coming up with a major redevelopment strategy yes. that, 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 that demonstrates value for money, and they, they do. I mean, they, they know it is, but that's not what they say because that's not what they get spoken to on the street. So there is always a time that's set aside, essentially not physically but mentally, that you know things will will be quite random and will distract you from that. So you mm. do have to have the ability to flex in terms of your thinking processes. Yeah. So yeah. sometimes it's got to be very, very immediate, and other times it's got to be, let's just take a breath. And I think one of the challenges for me around all of this is sometimes for the City of Culture, for example, what we did, what we did was we sat down, we actually took a day out, 31 of us went out and said, you know, what does this mean for us? And of those 31, every single one of them I do it now. I've got to get out there. And actually, it was really difficult for me at the end, even for me personally, to say, actually, what we need to do is just take a breath. Mm. Just take a breath. Understand the implications of this. It's four years away. That's not to say four years is we can sit out and just, you know, manana, manana. But actually, what it does mean is we do have a little bit of flexibility yeah. in terms of that time. Mm-hmm. And again, um, this managing uncertainty, one of the things that you cannot be embarrassed to do. Just take a little bit of time sometimes. Mm. So just just give yourself... Because when these things hit you or when you are trying to do something like that, it's very tempting to go, now, 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 now. Yeah, and if get, you're not careful, you're just running like a steam train yeah, permanently. And in the so, wrong direction. Yes. Absolutely yeah, in true. the wrong direction. So, I mean, not always, but sometimes you're off. Mm-hmm. And you're off in the wrong direction and, and, you know, things are busy and the last thing you can afford to do is abortive time. Mm-hmm. So... It's really, really important for me, and you know, and as I said, in terms of the latest thing, which was only Friday, was just to say to myself, who were desperate to get on and get start doing some stuff, just take a breath, have a think. At the end of this, your ideas have been absolutely great, but we need just to just to, to actually understand the scale of what's there on offer. And once we understand that, we need to make sure that what you're doing over there doesn't go straight across what you're doing over there. So. Yeah. It, it, it was quite it was quite an interesting challenge for me and I do think as you said when you have such uncertainty just 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 taking your time every now and again does mm. kind of help just to take stock of just, where are we and where where do we want be, to be don't be embarrassed to take yeah. a breath and you know sometimes don't be embarrassed to just you know we, we, we're all very busy but just to take a walk around the building mm. just mm. just so you don't impulse respond which could be completely 
completely wrong. Yeah. And you know, it's just buying yourself that time. And as things become, when you're saying about the day, as things become frantic, which they do sometimes, it's very, very, very easy to impulse respond. Mm-hmm. You just take a breath. Mm-hmm. Just take a breath. Write an email you have no intention of sending. So that is, that is another trick. <laughs> but, but for God's sake, make sure you don't put their name in the top. <laughs> so just, just write that email, get it out of your system, delete it, and then move on. Yeah. It's, it's just that type of thing. And I'm hearing, I'm hearing a lot about um, building a support, the right, the right team around yes. you as well, and having the support structure yeah. for you so that you don't have to do it all because yeah, yeah, yeah. you actually can't. It's impossible. Yeah. It is impossible. And what are the what are the skills that you are looking for in your team? What is it that's really important for you? Asters have done Asters of all the things. They say they um, they uh, recruit for attitude and train for skills. Right. And I think that's and, and actually you think oh, but actually it's not far off mm-hmm. actually. And and okay, we look at we look at different different levels in mm-hmm. terms of the type of things I require from the people who work for me. But if you just have that in the back of your head, attitude is so, so important mm. because if, if you if you think I'm interviewing ahead of planning, I use planning because I was a planner. If you think I'm interviewing ahead of planning, I will get six people apply for that job and all of them are intellectually capable of doing the job. They, yeah. they just are. Yeah. But, but some of them will have the worst attitudes in the world. Mm. And so... It's it's it really is around making sure you get the right attitude. The challenge is for me is you don't constantly appoint in your own likeness. Yeah, because you're somebody who's high energy, very positive. Well, well, yes. Yeah, I mean, a big, an exhausting team to have a ton of you well, in it, it with, the, with the greatest of respect. <laughs> it, would it would drive me nuts. Never mind them nuts. So, but and sometimes it does. It does. It is really important as long as the person has got the. The attitude, sometimes you, you have to select people that will just go, yeah, I hear what you say, just just hold it for a second. Mm. And, and and it's quite brave to a point, because I'm sure that person's going to irritate me. But we've managed to get quite a good balance, so Great. you can imagine when things are going in the right direction, I'm all, yeah, and when things are going in the wrong direction, I could get a right grump. <laughs> and so um, it's really good when you're going, oh, get that sorted, someone will go, yeah, well, of course I will. Just leave it with me, and I'll get it sorted. Mm. And, and 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 we've got a really nice balance on that. And and it what, sounds like there's a lot of trust and respect between you and the team as be. well. That, yeah. that has to be, and that, that comes down to my job. And maybe I'm different to some people in local authorities, but my job, first and foremost, is to make sure that the team that is working with me is the team that I want. There is mm. absolutely no point me ducking a difficult decision if I've got somebody that is not working in the way I want them to work. Mm-hmm. It is my job to say to them either, you change the way you work because this is the way we're going forward, or thank you, and that's good night. And, mm-hmm. and, and, it's, and, and they can be horrible conversations. Yeah. But if you don't do that, you're always dragging a limb, if you see Well, and it's me. no fun for anybody, is no, it? I mean, no it's no fun to be on the receiving end of that no, either. So, none at yeah. all. And I think it's really critical that you do that. And... And, and it's, it really is, perhaps it's what I get paid for slightly more than the team that sits underneath me, because it's my, it's me that sets the tone for the directorate uh, by selecting them in a particular way, and then they then go on through their teams, mm-hmm. and they will select them in a certain way. So it's also getting them to be confident enough to, to appoint people that aren't in their likeness. Yeah. Because otherwise, the person I use to kind of hold, not hold me back, but to check some of the madness... 
<laughs> the last thing I need is an entire line of those because I, yeah. I want to kill them all. So <laughs> it just wouldn't work out very well. So they also have to have the confidence to, to appoint perhaps people that are more um, like, I suppose, like me than they are like them. Uh, and so we get a nice uh, churn of types through the organisation. Yeah. Yeah. And that really helps then. And, 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 and I that think takes courage to do that because it it's does. very easy to build a tribe of people that all are mini lookalikes. Yeah, no, but no point. Yeah. Because we all think the same. And, that's, well, and, and that's we're in one. Coventry. What's the diversity? 27% yes. are, were born outside of the city. Absolutely right. So if, if your if if council all, is not representative yes. of it, the. It, that's not right. And if, if we're all. Is it, one, one of my. Um, I have two jobs. I have this job, and then I'm also the chief exec of the local enterprise partnership. And one of my ops directors always says, "Male, stale, and pale," is, mm -hmm. is what she says, and and she's absolutely right. And one of the things is, is been really what well, my first line are all male, but underneath that, most are female, mm -hmm. and, and and that's great in terms of the gender mix. But what we've also got to do is reflect the population, and we are yeah. now. This week, actually, actively seeking to recruit in a different method, right? And and seeking advice on how we recruit in the secret. And what's interesting for me around that is, in certain areas, particularly blue collar, not only do you tend to attract the same type of people, but usually you attract the same family. And yeah. it's amazing how generations of people will mm -hmm. come through this. Well, that's all very interesting, but you can imagine some of the issues that raises. So why, am I, why are we saying we need a reflective workforce in the senior management? Well, we also need a reflective workforce right the way through the organisation. Mm -hmm. and, and that's and what, one of the things I'm going to be very um, conscious of is if we are saying we are going to recruit differently or look at the way we recruit differently so we can get a, a wider field to pick from, that's not just done for the lardy dars that's actually done right the way through the process because it's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's the type of thing we're looking at. And all, yeah, all of it, all of it, kind of makes it a bit of fun as well, to be honest with you, in terms of just different thought processes. Yeah, and that really comes across for, of, of how much you enjoy it and we're how here much fun you. Yeah, we're here yeah. to. Uh, if somebody said to me, "You get paid more for being a grump," then then <laughs> happy days, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> but but you don't. So you might as well do the stuff you enjoy, and, and we all have bad days as well as good. But um, you've got to enjoy what you do. Mm. Surely you've got to enjoy what you do. And how can you? How can you not? I mean, I'm a very, I'm in a very privileged position in terms of my job. Is is looking at place. It's like doing Sim City for real. I mean, it's just great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How can you not enjoy that? Mm -hmm. Well, I I started my um, my working life in Coventry. I worked in uh, Cathedral Lanes in oh, right, okay. Dylan's Bookstore twenty five years ago, and the the regeneration over the last yeah. ten years in particular is phenomenal. Yeah, it's great. Isn't Walking it? through the city and. And you can actually walk across the ring road now to yes, the train station, the which you couldn't before. Yes, that's right. It's it's quite phenomenal. It's, the change. I, I'm, I'm really fortunate because I, I my my partner she is a, an urban designer, so um, we, we don't get invited out much. So I'm a planner <laughs> and she's an urban designer. But um, we just to have somebody explain to you how we think as creatures is really interesting when you're trying to plan a city. So you won't know this. I don't. Maybe you don't, maybe you do, but I didn't realise that if, if we are walking in a straight line and there is a, you, you are one to one inclined to do that. If, if we ask you to go left or right, you are two times less inclined to carry on. So if you're asked, so you might, if you go up or down, you are four times less inclined to go on. Right. So one of the things that we've done is that we've um, laid public realm out 
and, and spent nearly 100 million pounds on public realm in the 10 years that is absolutely straight and absolutely level. Mm. And, and one of the things was was stopping because you'll remember it because you used to come out under round over under the, down under, and yes yeah and now you walk in a straight line and you walk flat yeah and so it's really critical and it gets back to the city of culture stuff but it's really critical for the for the visitor experience and for the city people experience that your first impression of the city makes it, it's just it's first impression of anything isn't yeah it? so and do you think critical. that's helped you as a from a leadership point of view as well, in terms of getting into the psychology of how do people think and behave, yeah, um, and to, to then apply that to leading a team. Lots of different things. Yeah, absolutely right. And it's understand, um, and again, I suppose the, the other part of what I have to do is, is understand what makes them tick. Mm. So I, I, I know I can motivate um, some of my managers in one way and motivate others in well, Monkeys, aren't we? So yeah. I mean that's all we are, and and so we are, we are something that we just need to. We understand that the instincts are different for every single one of us, and it's just kind of making sure that you understand. And it's all about the psyche of how we work, mm. and that is either how we walk through a city, or how I get somebody to do something that they don't want to do, mm. because we are not in a we're not in an environment which is totally command and control. So mm. we're not. So a lot of what I have to do is to persuade people to do stuff I want them to do, yeah. not force them. And and really, forcing is a waste of time. Yes. As soon as I turn my turn, as I start looking the other way, they go, "Thanks, but I'm not doing that anymore." Mm. So it is understanding the psyche, and that yeah. that's that's really helped. Yeah. Mm. So, what's your one top tip for any leaders who are listening? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I'm, God, dear. I, I personally, I think just enjoy what you do. Mm. I genuinely, genuinely think that. Um, yeah, I mean, you demonstrate such passion for for the city that that you're. It's not my city. I mean, I'm a Brummie. I know. And it's I know. quite it's quite amazing because I didn't realise until I got here how much people from Coventry disliked Brummies. I just didn't know that. And so it makes me laugh quite a bit, but you've got to get passionate about what you do. Mm. If you, if, I suppose, if you picked me up and moved me to Doncaster, I would be passionate about Doncaster. Yeah. But you've just got to be passionate about what you do. Mm. And if you're not, you really have to think about: Do you really want to do this? Because if if you're if you are in an environment like we all are at the moment, where we don't want what's around the corner, we genuinely, genuinely don't. Mm. None of us could have guessed the politics of the last few years mm. in terms of the UK, in terms of America. I mean, yeah. didn't we all know where we were when we woke up and we knew Trump was in charge? But you, if you're working in those types of environment that that have an impact upon what you do every single day, and they yeah. do, how can you do that if you don't actually enjoy doing it? Because mm. if you don't, then you need to think about something else. That, yeah. That's where I would be. Yeah. Well, Martin, it's been fantastic to talk to you. I, I'm loving the passion that you've got for Coventry. It's Try fantastic to hear. And and the passion that you've got for work, actually, and Good. for leadership. So okay. thank you very much for your time. Pleasure. Pleasure. Wasn't that magic? Martin is a bundle of energy, and he absolutely role models the passion that he talks about. I think it takes a great leader to work out how to influence people, from investors to local businesses local people who live and work in the city of Coventry and use the services, to businesses outside of the region who are looking to relocate and invest as well. Talking to Martin, I found myself wanting to live in Coventry, and I think that's a great testament to his ability to get people on board. 
That's it for this podcast. I was your host, Jude Jennison from Leaders by Nature. Keep leading and I'll come back soon with the next interview on Leading Through Uncertainty. Mm-hmm.